Good morning. Man, it's good to see you all. Um, a special welcome to those of you who are guests with us. As Matt said uh, a little earlier, it's no small thing to us. We don't take lightly the fact that you chose to come and spend uh, some of your morning with us. And beyond feeling the love, uh, beyond leaving here with a sense of how glad we are to have you, we trust that you leave here impressed afresh, or maybe for the first time with Jesus Christ, and, and determined to live your life a little bit more fully for him. Uh, my name is Kondo. I get to serve as uh, one of the pastors here at Mission Point. And this morning, I have the privilege of launching a two-week mini-series of messages that we are calling Steady. And uh, right off the bat, I just want to apologize to any of you who, who might have come to church today thinking that this is a series uh, about uh, dating. It, it's really not. And no one even says going steady anymore. So I just, I think that's your fault if you thought that anyway. So uh, tough for you. Hope uh, it, it works out. This is actually a, a series that is centered around this dying word in our culture. And it's this word. The word faithful. Uh, The word faithful. Uh, Now, I don't know where the concept of a word for the year originated. Uh, I learned about it from Erica Duell. So as far as I'm concerned, she invented it. But for those of you who don't know what that is, the word of the year is, you know, how we often start our year and we make a list of New Year's resolutions, things that we hope to run after, things we hope to do better or do less of. The word of the year says, uh, listen, I want to pick a word. Something that I hope will color and mark my year, whether it's something I hope to see the Lord do more of in my world this year, or whether it's something I believe the Lord is calling me into more this year. It's a word, a word that stands as a banner over my Year And I wish I could say I was on my face in the presence of God, just, you know, pleading with him uh, for what he would want my word to be. But no, that's not the case. I was actually starting to whine about the things I didn't like this last year and starting to look forward to and plan and work on things that I wanted to see a little bit better because I was going to be better and I was going to do things a little bit better this year. And it was into that that the Lord interrupted me with this word, faithful. Kondo. Be faithful. Be faithful. And that word sat heavy and continues to sit um, heavy in my life and in uh, my world. And and let me uh, give you a quick definition of what we'll be talking about as we lean a little bit more into this word of faithful. It's the idea of consistently Carrying out what is required of me. Consistently carrying out what is required of me. Being steady in doing the things that are mine to do. Unwavering in my responsibilities until the end. It may get difficult. It may get discouraging. But faithfulness stays steady too. The end. There may be obstacles, there may be opposition, but faithfulness says, I stay steady in the things that I am called to. And there was this distinct sense, Kondo, listen, 
When I come back and we, when you stand before me, I'm not going to care how you started. See, because in this world, they are starters and they are stayers. And I don't know in which camp you fall, but I fall heavily into the starters camp. I start with the best of them. I start things like a boss with full enthusiasm and, and great excitement. But then this thing just kind of loses interest and it becomes a little more boring. And, and I get l- diverted to something else and it kind of whittles off. That may be fun and funny as a personality trait, but in the journey of our faith, in the things that we're called to, Jesus says, I don't care how you start. The question is, are you going to stay steady until the end? Because those who endure and stay faithful to the end will be saved. Faithful, steady. Temptation and tempest may arise and and seek to derail, but steady None the less. Because I can picture Jesus saying to me, saying to us, I won't care how awesome you were on stages and in the big moments in front of lots of people. Were you faithful in private? Were you faithful in the small things that no one will ever like on Instagram? A simple word with unspeakable significance. And so because I have the microphone and I get to stand on stage, I get to talk about my word for this year. When it's your turn to preach, feel free to share your word with the rest of us. But we are going to take some time this morning to look at some sections of the life of a man I think is one of the most faithful men Ever. A man who teaches me so much about what it's like to be unwavering in what God calls me to. Big moments, small moments, dark places, delightful places, none the less. And so this morning, we're going to point out three principles of faithfulness that are helping me and I hope will help you as we observe them in the life of Joseph. So if you have a copy of the scriptures... Please uh, join me in Genesis chapter 37. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, in fact, we have some guys coming up the aisles right now. If you need a copy of the Bible, just raise your hand or get one to you. Um, And if you don't own a copy, please feel free to hang on to this one. This is our gift to you. But Genesis chapter 37 is where we are going to be. And... um, For the moment, uh, let me just give you a little bit of catch-up on this guy named Joseph. His life, in fact, when we meet him, his life has been shrouded in uh, the deepest of darkness and drama and dysfunction. Um, Joseph grew up as one of 12 brothers. We don't know a whole lot uh, about his other uh, brothers, but we do know this about them. They were united around a common theme, and that common theme was they hated their brother. Not like I hate anchovies on my pizza, like no part of them could stand any part of him. And there were a couple of reasons for that. Number one, he was kind of a daddy's boy. His father, Jacob, had him in his older years, and because of that, he made no secret 
secret of the fact that he loved Joseph more than he loved the other brothers. Now listen, I don't fault him for that. Truth be told, us parents, we have our favorite kids, but we're smart enough to know that you pretend that you like them equally. Not Jacob. Jacob apparently suffered from a mild case of keeping it way too real. And so Christmas time comes around. He's just this one box under the Christmas tree with Joseph's name on it. His brothers get to help him unwrap it and throw away the paper. So it's rough for them. Needless to say, that will ferment the feels as it did for them towards their brother Joseph. Again, no fault of Joseph. It wasn't his fault. He didn't ask to be the favorite, but he was. And then on top of that, when Joseph was about 17, he had a couple of crazy dreams that he believed God had given to him. And the gist of these dreams was that there would be a day in the future when Joseph would rule over his father and his mom and his siblings. In fact, they would bow down in his presence. It's no fault of his that he had these dreams. But because of these dreams, his brothers hated him all the more. Now, again, I'm just saying if I was Joseph's personal advisor, I would say, hey, you know, I may just steer you away from sharing the dreams. It's one thing to have the dream. It's another thing to share the dream. Some dreams just keep to yourself. Hey, honey, I had the craziest dream. Like you were my like, personal pedicurist and you're like the, the cheerleader of my fantasy football league. And so let's go shopping for outfits. Like, you know, you can dream it. But maybe not share it. Needless to say, his brothers hate him all the more. And so for 17 years of his life, this is the environment in which Joseph grew up. The brother his brothers loved to hate on. Now, for us, this is just the story in the Bible. But for Joseph, these were dark days. In fact, when we join the story, things have gone from dark to straight up deadly. Um, In Genesis chapter uh, 37... Um, verse 19, Joseph's dad has sent him on an errand to go and check up on his brothers who are taking care of the flock out in the pasture somewhere. And look at what happens when they see him approaching. Look at verse 19. Um, verse 19 says this. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's Kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns, one of those wells, one of those pits and say a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So from the moment they set eyes on their little brother, these guys start to plot how to get away with murder. Now, I don't know. What your family background was. I don't know how deep the depth of the drama and the darkness in your world was. But for Joseph, it was deadly. His brothers, his own flesh and blood, literally wanted this kid dead. Thankfully, one of his brothers has a mild bout of conscience. And he says, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into one of those empty wells, one of those dark pits. Cover it over and just leave him. In 
there. I can only imagine Joseph's confusion. I can only imagine Joseph begging. I can only imagine Joseph negotiating with his brothers. I promise I won't dream anymore. I I promise I'll never wear that Christmas gift, that funky coat dad bought for me. I promise I won't tell anyone. But to no avail, they throw him in this dark pit and they have dinner off in the distance. When we first meet Joseph, his is a dark story of family abuse, betrayal, rejection, mockery. Yet this same kid is going to rise up and become one of the most faithful men in the entire Bible. And through his life, we learn this principle. Faithfulness always outpaces its past. Faithfulness always outpaces its past. Listen, if we had time to talk, and if this were a safe place, I'm sure, like Joseph, we would hear of painful pasts represented by many of us sitting in this room. We would hear of unspeakable pain that you would never have asked for and you couldn't have stopped. I'm sure we would hear stories. You might speak of things that were not your fault, but they broke in and colored your world with the deepest shades of darkness None the less. You might tell of how you were reduced to a simple piece of leverage in your parents' bitter feud. You might tell of your absentee dad. I mean, he would drag the shell of his body home in the evenings, but the vacant look in his eye was all the evidence you needed. He didn't want to be there. He didn't want to be with y'all. And that colored your world with pain and darkness. You might speak about the miscarriage that broke into your world. You did everything right to. The doctor said you stay away from this and you stayed away from this. They said you rest this way and you rested this way. But despite what you tried, you couldn't stop it. And it came and died darkened your world. I bet you we would hear stories because you thought that, 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 listen, till death do us part actually meant till death do us part. And yet your story is marked with seasons and maybe you're even in a season now, the dark pit called abandoned, called alone, even if you didn't do anything wrong. I bet you if this were a safe place, we would hear stories much like Joseph's story. Because many of our stories start in painful places and include pits of deep darkness and everything around us would say, let that define and determine the rest of your story. Let the way your story started determine how your story ends. And then faithfulness rushes in and says, your past doesn't have to decide how your story ends. And I love that about Joseph. Faithfulness doesn't care how you started. 
It's about how you finish. It's about where you go next. Because faithfulness always outpaces its past. And you can decide that faithfulness will be what determines the rest of your story. What Joseph teaches us is it's possible to finish strong. Even though your story is marked with pain. And even though it starts in darkness and drama and death and dysfunction. The drama, the darkness in your life, in your story, in your past doesn't have to determine what you do next. Outpace your past and and finish strong. And this was so stirring for me because I cannot tell you how much permission I've given to the pain in my past that almost says, well, this is good enough. And if I trail off this way, you know, I mean, it's been a hard journey. And if I trail off that way, you know, things haven't always been easy. And I've given permission. It's time for me to revoke the permission I've given to my past to determine where I go from here. Because regardless of where I've started, I can finish strong, faithfulness, steady. As I go. Decide that you won't let your past excuse or exempt you from finishing well. And here's the assurance I have. And here's the assurance I can give you without any doubt. Jesus, the one who calls us to faithfulness, will hold our broken hearts As we go. Jesus will repay. Your abusers. As we go. Jesus will heal and mend the wounds. As we go. He promises his presence. He promises his power. As we go. Steady faithfulness. Outpaces its past. Saying. It's not how my story started. In fact, it's not my past at all. It's his promises that I'm going to lean into and move towards finishing strong. Tell the person next to you, go steady, go steady. Tell the person next to you, go steady. Um, We do that around here some time. And if that feels awkward and if that's what starts your relationship, you're welcome. Um, Uh, So Joseph, um, even in this dark start to his story, he chooses to be faithful. In fact, we see hints of this, this even as you read the story. That he's faithful as a sibling, even though his siblings hate him. His dad says, hey, go serve your siblings. Absolutely, I'll go serve my siblings. He's faithful as a son. Even in this dark environment where his dad says, here's what I want you to do. Absolutely, I will honor you, dad. Because I can't control this... The darkness, but I am going to choose to be faithful. And so as you can imagine, things get better for Jacob, right? Nope. Nope. Next time we drop in on Joseph, um, not Jacob, by the way, but Joseph. um, He's living in 
Egypt. He's working as a slave in the estate of a guy named Potiphar. Um, You see, instead of killing him, his brothers figured we might as well benefit from this guy's life. And and we might as well make something if we're going to get rid of him. And so while they're eating, a, a group of traders go by and they pull him out of that dark pit. And they sell their own brother as a slave to these foreigners. And those foreigners end up selling Joseph as a slave to this guy named Potiphar, the chief of police in the empire of Egypt. And Joseph ends up as a slave in this guy's house. Now, we don't know uh, what kinds of tasks and responsibilities Joseph had as a slave in Potiphar's estate. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say whatever this was, it was not the dream gig for for Joseph. I'm going to go ahead and just guess that this wasn't what he wanted to be when he grew up. I'm just going to go ahead and guess that this wasn't part of his five-year plan of success. Just guessing. We don't know how long Joseph served as a slave in Potiphar's house. But again, spitballing here. I'm going to go ahead and guess that it was probably longer than he wished he was in that space. Longer than he wished he was in that situation. There are a lot of things we don't know about that season of slavery in the home of Potiphar's. Home of Potiphar. But here's what we do know. While Joseph was there serving as a slave. He absolutely slayed the heck out of slavery. He did such a good job at this terrible job that Potiphar said, make that teenage foreign slave kid my second in command. Put him in charge of my entire estate. Now, you might not believe me, so let's check this out ourselves with our own eyes. Chapter 39. Let's skip a couple of pages and look at chapter 39, verse 2. This is crazy. Joseph is so consistent in his trustworthiness, in his excellence, in his steadiness, in his faithfulness, that this guy notices. Look at verse 2 of chapter 39. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, with Joseph, that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant, his deputy. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all of that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Because of Joseph, the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. This dude did not concern himself with anything except the food he put in his mouth. The only thing Joseph apparently didn't do was feed Potiphar. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Little side note, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now, just so we're clear, Potiphar has no concern about Joseph or Joseph's God. None whatsoever. What Potiphar's concerned about is his bottom line. And all I know is whenever this kid is around, my bottom line is positively affected. When he's around, things get 
better. When he shows up, blessing is all around him. So, of course, I'm going to put him in charge of everything. Of course, I want his fingerprints on everything that I own. And so he gives this slave all of his safe combinations and all of his account numbers, his power of attorney, his credit cards. uh, And he gives Joseph the freedom to speak on his behalf when Potiphar is not there. He's barely 20, maybe. Because Potiphar saw the favor of God in Joseph's excellence, in Joseph's consistency, in Joseph's steadiness, in Joseph's faithfulness. And even in this unwanted season, we learn something from this young man. And that is faithfulness always betters its present. Faithfulness always betters its present. Now, again, that's not how we usually form sentences, but this sentence, I trust, will make sense here in a little bit. But did you see that in Joseph's story? This season and this space and this situation feels to Joseph like slavery, mainly because, well, it is slavery. If you could have interviewed Joseph, he would have told you, I don't want to be here. I don't like it here. This is not my dream situation. This is not what I wanted to be when I grew up. I'm not even done growing up, actually. But here I am. I didn't choose to be here, but I can choose what to be here. And what I choose to be while I'm here is the person who slays the heck out of this season. I am going to choose to make this space better, even if I don't like it here. Faithfulness. Ooh, I learned so much from this guy. As much as he didn't want to be here, for now, this was Joseph's space. And this kid determined, I'm going to do what I can to better my now, to better my present, to better my surroundings. And he works like they are paying him millions with a promise of a winning lottery ticket at the end of it all. And Potiphar notices that. Oh, faithfulness is hard to miss. In fact, Potiphar is not the only one who notices it. Mrs. Potiphar apparently notices Joseph as well. See, because I wish we had time to talk about how faithfulness will permeate every single area of your life. See, because Joseph wasn't just faithful in his work. He was faithful in his work out, you see. He wasn't just faithful in his duties. He was faithful in his diet as well. And dude was fine. And Potiphar's wife was like, mm-mm. Look at those faithful glutes. And so she starts to make all kinds of excuses, starts spilling stuff on purpose. Clean up on aisle five, a little help here. Not you. Joseph, mm, get it, Joseph, get it. And she sprung. She sprung. So she starts to set all kinds of tricks and traps to get Joseph to sleep with her. And Joseph is like, "Mm -mm, not today. And so he's out of there. 
In fact, his leaving proves that this faithfulness thing wasn't just when people were watching, wasn't just in public. It was what he did in private as well. But needless to say, a woman scorned, or in this case, a really scorning woman. But anyway, she gets really, really mad. And so she frames him to his master for attempting to rape her, something he didn't do. And as a result, Joseph ends up doing a stint of at least two years in prison because of this false accusation. And guess what happened when Joseph got to prison? He said, I don't want to be here, but I can choose what to be here. And he makes that place so much better that the warden says, I'm putting you in charge. You are over every prisoner. You are over all activities. Joseph became the assistant warden as a slave in prison. Because faithfulness always betters its present. Such a compelling character. I learn again so much from him. And this is so good for us to hear. Because I bet you if we could talk and if, if this were a safe place, would hear stories of many of us who are in seasons and spaces and And situations that feel like slavery to us. They feel like prisons to us. We don't want to be here. This wasn't part of the five-year plan. And yet here we are. This wasn't what I wanted to be when I grew up. And yet here I am. I didn't want to be a parent this young. And yet, here I am. I definitely didn't want to be a single mom. And yet, this is the prison in which I feel I now live. I hoped we would be parents by now. This is not the season I asked for. I didn't ask to have kids with medical complications. And yet, this is the place in which I now live. This is my space. I bet you if we could talk, we would hear stories. I didn't ask to be in this marriage that's barely on life support humming along. I didn't ask to be in this season of singleness. I'll get out if I could, trust me. I've tried, but yet here I am. And it feels to me like slavery. It feels to me like A prison sentence. I bet you if we could talk, we would hear a variety of stories. I didn't ask to have these medical complications. I didn't ask to be in this season of waiting. Waiting for the next report from the doctor. Waiting for my kids to get home from Haiti. Waiting, waiting, waiting for the results of that job interview. But this is a season in which I now. I hate my job. I hate my boss. I hate my co-workers. This is not the dream job. I want to get out of here as soon as possible. But yet this is my now. This is my space. I don't like being a student. but My parents made me go to college. And I just cannot wait to get out of here. Woo! Eight more semesters. And I'm there. 
Many of us will tell of spaces we're in right now that we don't want to be in. They feel like prisons. We want out. The question of faithfulness is how will you choose to make your present better? What does God ask you to be and bring to that space right now? See, because if you're like me, I spend my energies whining and wishing I were somewhere else. I spend my energies working to get out of the space I'm in. But the question of faithfulness is how will I choose to better my Now, I may not be able to leave this space, but I can definitely choose to leave this space better. And that's what Joseph does. I didn't ask to be in this space, but I'm going to own the heck out of it. I'm a parent. Listen, let me tell you something. No kid will ever be as prayed for or as played with as my crazy kid. Diapers will know my name in this season. All the rug burns are going to be evidence that I was present with my children in this space, in this time. No kid will have a greater parent than me right now. This is my job. I don't like it, but I'm going to own it. I'm going to show up on time. And I'm going to turn in those projects at the project deadline with a little bit of interest. My boss is going to love his job because I work here. This company is going to be better because I showed up in this space. I didn't choose to be single, but I'm going to make single better. In fact, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to own this space. In fact, I'm going to realize that I have more space than I would have if I wasn't single right now. So forget owning my space. I'm actually going to loan some of my space to those of y'all who don't have much space. And I'm going to use my extra space to make your space better. Make where you are better. I don't know if my spouse even likes me. But during this season, they're going to know I choose them. They're going to know I'm for them. They're going to know that I am here. I may not like school, but my teacher is going to love their job because I'm in their class. I'm going to make this little space better. I didn't choose for these physical limitations. I didn't choose for these medical complications. Medical complications have made my space feel so much smaller. I can't move like I used to. I can't go to the places that I used to. And listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring down the blessing of God into this confined space. When you show up, you're going to wish you could stay. As you see in my life, the way his power is made perfect in weakness. Even this unpleasant space of sickness, I'm going to make this space better. Faithfulness always betters its present. Is your space better because you're in it? Is heaven touching down in that space because you're there? Does your boss, which he, which he could clone you, 
Because then I don't care about God, but the bottom line, because whenever she's on a project, I don't have to worry about it. She gets it done. She takes care of it. Faithfulness chooses to better its present. And here's a crazy thing. Uh, Jesus is, when he returns, and this is so striking to me, as a whiner and a worker to get out of spaces I don't like, when Jesus comes back, he's not going to ask us, hey, how do you like your season? Was it good? Well, I mean, well, I mean, it was all right. <laughs> it was, wasn't four seasons, but I mean, it was, it was fine. How do you like your space? Well, I, I really could have used a little, you know, a little magnolia touch, a little fixer-upper. I mean, we could have used a little excess furniture and some shiplap, but it was all right. He's never going to ask us, how did we like our space? He's going to ask us, what did you do to make that space better? What did you do to represent me in that space? What did you do to stay steady and unwavering in the things I called you to be and bring into that space? I obsess with the wrong question. Did you love? Did you serve in that space? By the way, let me say this really quickly. Uh, it's okay to want to get out of an unpleasant space. Joseph wanted out. In fact, when he was in prison, he tried to tell a dude, hey, when you get out, remember me, man, because I don't want to be here. Of course that's okay. It's just not the most important question. Because Jesus is not going to ask me, so did you get out? And, and uh, let me say this too. It is good to get out of unhealthy situations if you can. But I still think it worth asking the question, is this dark place a little lighter because I was in it? And then finally, after 13 years of pain and pits and potiphers and prisons, Joseph ends up in the palace. I love this. He, he gets the fairy tale ending. The king of Egypt, the pharaoh. Um, hears about this faithful guy named Joseph, and he ends up putting him in charge of the entire Egyptian empire. The entire Egyptian empire. Joseph becomes the second most powerful dude on the planet. Only Pharaoh has more fame, more fortune, and more flash than this ex-slave. This faithful man named. Joseph. Joseph has made it. Boy, his dreams have come true, literally. Because his family is going to bow down at his feet. Not to mention Potiphar and his crazy wife. But check out the way Joseph views his view from the palace. Look at how he describes this dream position of power in Egypt. Look at uh, chapter 45. Let's skip over a few pages. Chapter 45, verse 9. This is what Joseph says. It says, now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. God has made me Lord of all Egypt, come down to me, don't delay. I love that. 
My dreams are ultimately in God's hands. My destination is ultimately up to him. God has made me Lord. God has made me Lord. God has pulled this dream off. God has landed me in this place. The dream ending is God's doing. That is so powerful. And this is where the Lord uh, spoke most profoundly to me. Faithfulness outpaces its past. Faithfulness betters its present. And the third principle I think we learn from Joseph's words here is that faithfulness always releases its promotion. Faithfulness always releases its promotion. Faithfulness always says the palace is God's prerogative. And those are words I think some of us are going to end up holding on to. The palace is God's prerogative. He decides when, if, and how I end up in the palace. The palace is God's prerogative. The faithfulness is mine. See, I've spent so much energy working not to be faithful, but to get to the palace, to make my dreams come true. I've spent so much energy not trying to be faithful, but trying to be famous. Trying to be flashy. Spent so much hard time quietly whining that Mission Point isn't at the place that I think it should be at this juncture. And I believe this is why the Lord gave me this word this year. Because I found in my heart I become gradually overconcerned with I'm getting older and would I be known in this world and would I be memorable? Would I ever end up in a ministry palace? Would Mission Point become a super impressive church in the eyes of people? Will we be the center of some massive revival? And so I start to obsess over those things and I start to exert my energies into those things. And it's as if the Lord says to me, Kondo, be faithful. Be faithful. Leave the promotion to me. Leave the results to me. Leave the palace to me. The palace is my prerogative. Yours is to be faithful. Be faithful. When I return, Conda, I promise I will not ask you, hey, did you make it? Were you famous? Did people know you? How many followers did you have on Twitter anyway? What did Mission Point become? This, this, this. Ministry palace? I, I mean, was there a mass revival that had you guys' name attached to it? Kondo, I will ask you, were you faithful in the things I called you to do? Were you faithful in steadily owning the spaces and the places I gave you? Be faithful. Release promotion. 
Release the fame. Release results to me. You be faithful. If you end up healed out of that place of medical limitations, that's up to me. You be faithful. If your crazy hard-headed kids end up being the delight of your life, that's up to me. You be faithful as a parent. If your marriage transforms into the fairy tale, that's on me. You be faithful. When your kids show up from Haiti, that's up to me. You be faithful with the two kids under your roof right now. If a revival breaks out in Winona Lake and Mission Point has anything to do with it, that's up to me. You be faithful in sharing the gospel. Be faithful. Be faithful and release all promotion to me. That's my job. And it's in Joseph's faithfulness that you can see him releasing His heart, his world, and the results to God. That's why he can say at the end of his life, God got me here. What I was doing was being faithful to him. Faithfulness realizes God decides my fame, but I determine my faithfulness. And instead of obsessing with palaces, which we love to do, and I was just thinking about this. Uh, we, we don't even make our nows better because the new new is what's next. It's not what's now. What's now is old. What we live for and dream about is what's next. I mean, I got the phone and it was awesome. It's, but the minute I drove the car off the lot, it became old and I started, what's next? My job is great, but it's, it's what's Next, and this place is great, but the palace is what's next. And instead of obsessing over palaces, I think the Lord is inviting me, and I wonder if he's inviting some of us to obsess over faithfulness because the palace is his prerogative. We've locked in on palaces of marriage or promotion or nest egg or success. And Jesus is saying, be faithful, release those things to me. Uh, You know, a a great question, even as we um, head out is, yeah, but okay, where do I start? What does that look like? And and welcome to the wrestling. This is a space I've been in, my wife and I processing, uh, what does this look like? You know, sharing again with some of our staff and team, what does this look like for us as a church? What does this look like um, for us as individuals, for us as, as a family? And um, here's, let me just suggest this to you, as you may want to start towards finishing strong, crossing the finish line and receiving the divine commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Start in the things that only you must do. Start in the things that only you must do. There are a bunch of things a lot of other people could do, can do, should do, must do. But but what's yours? What's under your care? What are your responsibilities? What are the places in which only you can better that space? Come on, dads. No one else can dad your kids. No one else is called to. That's your job. 
So I need to be more present. I need to roll on the ground more. I need to shut my phone off more. I need to, I need to make this space better. Moms. Being the best mom possible. And being the best dad possible. I don't mean looking through your kids, uh, looking through a lens at your kids so you can put them on Instagram so you can be famous through your kids. I mean actually being with them. Start there. Come on, husbands. Only I will be held responsible for loving my wife like Christ loved the church. Come on, employees. You may not like your job, but if you're in that space right now, start with the things that are yours. And you're going to figure out there's a lot of things you've been saying yes to and you've been including and you've been agreeing to. It's not yours to worry about. Jesus is never going to ask you about your Instagram account. But but he will ask you how you were as a spouse and how you were as a parent. Whittle it down to the things that only you will have to answer for. And slay the heck out of those things. So Lord, I I pray that you'd forgive me for saying heck. And Lord, I do ask that by your spirit, you would do something so great in us. That this would be a church that rises up. That we would be individuals who rise up to cross the finish line steady as we go in faithfulness. Despite our past, despite spaces we don't like, leaving the results to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.